Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Get to Kohl's this weekend and save during the friends and family sale. Take an extra 20% off. Get pleased for the family, $15.99 and under. The new Fitbit Inspire 2 is $99.99. And save on family denim, $17.59 and under. Plus, get Kohl's cash. Plus, fast and free store pickup. Find a little more this fall. Shop Kohl's and Kohl's.com. Select styles. Offers valid September 30th through October 4th. 20% off with promo code FAMILYSHOP. Fitbit offers and coupons do not apply. Some exclusions apply. See store or Kohl's.com for details. The summer is heating up, which means fall and football are just around the corner. Join Ross Tucker as he gears up for another exciting season and speculates on what you should expect. Download new episodes of the Ross Tucker podcast and more presented by Bet Online every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One Sportsnet. The May 23rd edition of the PFF forecast. We are recording this a little late, so it might be the May 24th edition, but you get the idea. We've got uh, some mean tweets. They might be meaner than last week. We have a Rams-Vikings week four Thursday night football rewatch, and then we have the Washington Redskins with a little bit of Cincy YMCA at the end. Let's rock. Eric, you made it to Minnesota. Uh, you had, what, like a four-and-a-half-hour delay, so I'm surprised you're still alive. It was crazy. So we got, you know, it was the first time. So I fly all the time. It was the first time in my life I have a six-year-old and a five-year-old, and the first time I ever flew, flown with them. And uh, we got up early. The drive from our house to Cincy Airport is, is uh, you know, aggressive if you go through traffic. So we got there early, get there early. And then it was a series of 50-minute delays. So uh, we were delayed for a total of five hours, George. I mean, you know how much I hate airports. And my biggest issue with airports is that they're the dirtiest place on planet Earth. So I like to get to the airport as as quickly uh, as I can and avoid spending any time in the airport uh, if possible, which means that I show up about five minutes before uh, my do. flight if possible. Now, there's, this is, there's a couple of benefits to that. One of the risks, obviously, is that you run the risk of missing your flight. But the benefit is that if your flight gets delayed, you generally know before you've left for the airport. So you left for the airport at 6 a.m., and I had a flight out, and my flight actually took off uh, before yours did, and I left for the airport at 11 a.m. So yeah, it's, it's, it's brutal. I would say the next time you and I bet – like make a bet, um, and you lose, um, you should have to sit in like the child care center of an airport and, and sit on, sit on one of the nap pods. Well, the funniest thing was there was a a little girl who had, was just with her mom and she kept calling my wife, Stephanie and I mom and dad. So she was like playing (laughs) with our kids and, and she like just referred to me as dad and, and Stephanie as mom. And it was, it was pretty cute, but also really funny. You hate to see that, literally. I can't even imagine what flying with children's like. I get enough anxiety flying with other people. Um, so, you know, there we go. Uh, let's do some mean tweets first because one of them, <laughs> actually, so we're, calling this, we're calling this Mina tweets. 
because they, they're getting meaner, which is what we like to see. Um, this is my favorite one. Matt, uh, just Matt, the part where you guys whine about mean comments slash tweets almost turns me off your whole show. The rest is great. Can you just talk about football and not whine about the Internet being the Internet? Is any of this whining? I'm not whining. I enjoy these. They're funny. No, this is this is clearly like making fun of. As the second comment will uh, will surely uh, project. This is simply just making fun of what the internet is. It's not whining at all. That's not the point. Is to enjoy. Uh, jo- Johnny, Joe, Jomi, Joseph. Uh, it's a disgrace to working class Americans that these guys are getting paid for this video. I'm not actually getting paid for the for the video itself, but thanks, appreciate it. Yeah, um, I, I mean, we do this sort of out of our own enjoyment, don't we? I mean, this is the, this is the that's the funniest thing about this entire shtick. Do you want to read the next one? It's really long. Uh, oh, are we know. okay? Yeah. So CWCW. Numbers on a screen can tell you only half of it, and geeks behind the screen are not head coaches. Mike Vrabel is for the Titans, and he was, by the way, a great football player, and you seriously want to tell me Titans are going to be wor- This guy needs to learn what a comma is or a period. Going to be worse than last year without even going into their draft picks. One of their draft picks can't play this year. And free agent signings, they upgraded every one of their weaknesses for sure. Their main ones is in wide receiver and interior O-line with Saffold and with Humphreys and A.J. Brown. And with Walker coming back, I believe the Titans offseason hinges on Mariota's health, no apostrophe. And if he is going to win 20 games or uh, yeah. So apparently this guy just went on one um, about our thinking that the Titans are less than an eight-win team. Um yeah. That's fair. Uh, Big Hoss. Guy on the right has no idea what he's talking about, the Bears defense. Oh, this is shocking. I haven't heard of a Bears fan yet. Please watch film about things you discuss as homework and notes is important as – and what? God, people can't spell. And notes uh, – what I think he's trying to say is notes are important for an essay or a speech. Um yeah, you're right. We really should watch the games and and look at all the data. Good point. Let's Respect let's it. finish with Dylan Tinley because this is going to like rebuff the idea that we're complaining. Dylan says, "I like how George and Eric explain everything they claim, and people still dislike or comment subjective things with no basis, as if they are facts." That's a pretty good one. You did forget a couple though. Uh, that I oh, like. that's right. There's a, there's this one about your biceps. Which fine, read it. Go ahead. Kool Aid stand. Said George's biceps make me uncomfortable. Same. Uh, and then we have this one where uh, it says the guy on the right. So I think that's me. The guy on the right looks like someone kicked him too many times as a child, and the guy on the left looks like he could use a hug. I'm sorry. I don't. I think I. I think I get sufficient hugs, but I was kicked as a child. That sucks. Um, all right, let's go on to Thursday Night Football. We rewatched week four Rams-Vikings because we were going to try and pick some games that we really enjoyed when they happened and wanted to go back and watch them. And I think it's a fun thing to do as you prep for the season because you get to kind of think about different time states of the prior season and go back and say, like, well, what did you think back in week four? So we watched Rams-Vikings. But I, I want to ask before 
we get into the game, do you remember what you were thinking about both of these teams before the game happened? Yeah, so the Vikings were just coming off losing outright as a 17-and-a-half-point favorite to the Bills, I believe, at home. Um, so I was basically, like, done with the Vikings already. Shocker. Um, and so that was where my head state was. I thought the Rams were sort of unstoppable at that point. So that was, you know, I think the Rams were something like six-and-a-half, seven-point favorites. So um, that... Yeah, so that's kind of where I was. I thought that the Rams were going to roll the Vikings, and, and you know, even though they did win, that was sort of not as convincing as I thought it was going to be. Yeah, the Rams were six and a half point favorites. I remember going back and forth on this one, uh, like for pick'em leagues, like what which one to do, and then I ended up actually convincing myself that the Rams were the right choice. Took the Rams. Goff was our fourth highest graded quarterback. Kirk was twelfth going into this game. Um, the Rams, of course, three and zero. My worry was that the market was overreacting to the Vikings losing as a seventeen and a half point favorite, right? Um, in rather humiliating fashion. And Minnesota had, you know, the Eagles coming up after them, uh, after the Rams, and so, you know, you figured they had to win one of those games. They were going to play uh, pretty darn hard here, coming right off a loss. So that was what worried me. Um, but I think ultimately the feeling was, look, the better team on a Thursday night is probably the right pick, which, you know, doesn't work out every time, but I think is something that has been, um, you know, rather proven, right? On, on Thursday night, the favorite should be more of a favorite. Yeah, absolutely. That's, um, you know, that's something that I actually we just tweeted out earlier. It's like if you look at it's not the home team that necessarily gets the advantage. It's the team that's the favorite. And the team that's the favorite, as you can imagine, usually has the better quarterback, usually has the better coach, right? So they can, like, turn around and sort of, like, enhance all the edges that they have uh, during the course uh, of that short amount of time. So, yeah, we, you know, Zimmer is a good coach, but, like, offensively, the Vikings were kind of a mess last year coach-wise. And so, you know, our our money was certainly on, like, the Rams and their, you know, Wade Phillips and, and uh, Sean McVay sort of being able to turn it around uh, relatively quickly. So the game starts off super hot. Buck and Aikman on fire as usual. Touchdown, touchdown, field goal, touchdown, touchdown. The first <laughs> five drives of the game. Um, and I, there were some things that I was expecting to, to see. And one of the things I was expecting to see was me thinking that a lot of Zimmer's decisions were poor. But he actually goes for a fourth and one on their second drive, gets a field goal out of it um, on a – the throw that maybe should have been an interception. <laughs> um, <laughs> there were a few Cousins of them by Cousins in this game. A couple, a couple of those, right? But I actually, one of the things that I took away from this game um, was that I thought Zimmer did a better job decision-making-wise, um, albeit you know there were some second and long runs. But that was one of the things. The other thing that stuck out to me, and I wrote this down like five times, why does Minnesota run the ball? Yeah, I, well, we were talking about this at the gym. Like the, I I resound. I watched the line of scrimmage the whole game just because like I wanted to well, see. Because you're gritty. I am gritty, and Minnesota with you know the only like pressure they got on Goff was this like sack by Daniel Hunter where I think Goff dropped back in the pocket maybe a yard too deep, um, and so didn't give his left tackle a chance. Other than that, 
the Vikings were basically stonewalled at the line of scrimmage defensively like the whole game. That was not the case, right? Like the what the numbers Cousins put up in the passing game was despite the fact that their offensive line was getting manhandled the entire game. Uh, and, you know, it sort of shows the limitation of pass rush, right? But, like, you know, Aaron Donald was absolutely eating Tom Compton the entire game. Uh, you know, Pat Alfline wasn't wasn't any better. Um, and, you know, they were – the line of scrimmage was being moved back, you know, three-fourths to a yard the entire time. Yeah, I mean, what was sort of amazing about that is despite the line of scrimmage debacle for the Vikings and despite the fact that they couldn't run the ball to save their lives – Play action somehow managed to work uh, for Minnesota. 8.4 yards per play off of play action in this game, um, which it continued that I, here in um, their second-to-last drive. So it's 38-31. I kept writing things down and, like, circling them when they, I'd written them <laughs> down, like, five times. And it's 38-31. They run play action on first down and gain 20 yards. I mean, there's absolutely zero reason that the Rams should be worried about the Vikings running the ball, not to mention the fact that there's like three minutes left. Well, Dalvin Cook uh, was injured, so it was it was the tape train back there anyway. It was it was absolutely hilarious. And then on the other side of things, you know, Minnesota had a decent game with play action. The, the Rams averaged 16 yards per play on second down play action plays. I mean, it, it, it was so funny because so let's see where where is I think this shows up in the uh, in the second half here. So in the second half, it's thirty eight, uh, sorry thirty one twenty eight, and the Rams get the ball back. So this is a pretty important possession. Minnesota has just scored a touchdown um, to to draw and and converted the two point conversion on another third down that should have probably then been picked off and ended up being completed by cousins um their third downs were amazing but the rams come out and they go run with Gurley, goes for eight yards immediately go to play action kendricks just comes sprinting up to the line of scrimmage passed right over his head for 20 yards <laughs> next play is a first down another run by Gurley, followed up by you guessed it play action converts and then they go five wide out of 11 personnel and destroy uh, Anthony Barr uh, right up the middle on Robert Woods for a touchdown. So, like, they did this. I kept noticing them doing the exact same thing, right? They'd come out, they'd run on first down, and they'd go play action. The great thing about it is, as we've talked about a million times, it really doesn't matter whether they were successful or not. The very next time the Rams got the ball, they went two-yard run, followed by play-action pass for 20 yards, then four-yard run, followed by play-action pass for 20 yards. So um, I think this game was a really fun look at kind of the common idea around play-action, setting up the run, and what really tends to happen. Yeah, exactly. I thought that that was great. I thought, you know, it was really clear, you know, the sort of verticality of the Rams passing game. Um, and, you know, and how, and sort of a prelude to the season when like cup got injured against Denver. And then again, later in the season, sort of like what was going to happen to Jared Goff, because we saw like how much he depends upon him and how, you know, so, so much more of a cheat code he can be. Um, so, 
that was interesting. They they got they got Cup matched up at at times on Anthony Barr. They got him matched up at times on I believe it was like Mike Hughes or Mackenzie Alexander. Uh, they got him on Trey Waynes a few times. They they were really able and that golf you know touchdown throw to the corner of the end zone in the second half. Uh, over Waynes and over, I believe it was Hughes, uh, was one of the best throws of the entire season, right? So you saw, you saw a lot of the good with Goff, but you also did see, you know, you saw some of the the weaknesses of McVeigh as as well, right? So like, the, you know, at the very end of the game, for example, they went, you know, they punted the football back to the Vikings and gave them a oh. chance to drive for the game tying score, possibly. I forgot winning. about that. I and, forgot about that. And that was this was like in the honeymoon phase of McVeigh, right? Like this was a precursor to a lot of the decisions he eventually made, you know, the a- NFC Championship game being chief among them. But that was like, you know, that was something that was different about him relative, you know, we we didn't we sort of thought it was like a singular point in time, but it ended up being sort of like a character, uh, you know, a nature uh, that he, you know, had uh, throughout the season. So that was an interesting one to sort of look back at. Well, okay, let's let's talk about this because this was one of the big picture things that I thought about coming out of this game that, in hindsight, is really interesting to look at. And so I think there are two. I think the first is the idea that Jared Goff is a top three to five quarterback. So he comes out of this game after week four, ranked uh, number one among all quarterbacks. He had an incredible – this was by far his best game of his career. He was very, very good. The throw to, to Cup was just one of many. Um, and then the Rams come out of this as, you know, well, they're certainly, you know, they're a Super Bowl contender. And obviously they should have been, right? Um, but a large reason for that was I think the idea that McVeigh took a defensive mastermind in Zimmer and turned his defense into a joke. I mean, the. Places that he stressed that defense with Anthony Barr in particular, I mean, they killed the linebackers in this game mercilessly, um, were two things that I think came out of this game that were pervasive. And I certainly Cup was a huge part of that. But here's something that I did not think I was going to come away from this game thinking. And that was that, you know, Gurley as a receiver was not a waste. He was split out a couple of times. He absolutely roasted Anthony Barr um, on the touchdown pass. And so, I, to me, it, the C.J. Anderson thing, you know, C.J. Anderson being too fat to run past a, a traffic cone was an issue, I think. And I, I think it cost – I think Cup and, and not having a receiving back, who was uh, – I'm blanking on his name now. Mal- Malcolm I, Brown. Malcolm Brown. I kept, kept thinking Trent Brown. The Malcolm Brown injury, I think, really hurt them because he could actually catch the ball. They went out and got C.J. Anderson because he could run in that scheme. That really wasn't what they needed. They needed a guy that could catch the ball and not having Cooper Cup. I think those two things really took away from the added dimensions of that that offense that made McVay look like such a genius. I mean, I think McVay is still excellent. But, you know, thinking back on it now, obviously there's a little bit of a different skew to that now that we know what happened in the Super Bowl. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it, it is it, it is interesting when you saw that offense, like, with, you know, hitting on all cylinders, sort of like, but as we sort of looked at into the future, how, how sort of unstable that can actually be. Um, you know, when, when we look at, 
you know, when things went wrong for them, it wasn't actually that much. And then, but but ultimately, it ended up being enough for them, you know, to not even be able to score a touchdown in the Super Bowl. Um, let, let's stick with the the Rams for just a second here, because the the fourth you mentioned the fourth down decision, right? So this was end of the game. Uh, it's thirty eight thirty one. Rams have a chance to end the game. They go three yard run. They go a play action attempt that fails, probably <laughs> because of the three yard run. They go a screen that gets them what looks to be a first down and then ends up being a fourth and inches at about the 35. So there's 2.30 to go. They're up seven. At the 35, it's an inch. They are destroying this team. I mean, it is on first and second down, they're averaging 0.6 expected points added per play. Minnesota's negative 0.1. I mean, the Rams offense is just dominant. And they decide to punt the ball. And so we went and, and ran the, the probability on this for each decision. The decision to go for it gives you a 91% chance to win. About 98 if you convert, 77 if you turn it over. The decision to punt, 86% chance to win. So costing yourself five percentage points of chance of winning the game is, is massive. I know it doesn't seem like a lot given that people thought 14% was enough to guarantee the Knicks a first pick in the NFL draft. But 5% (laughs) is about as big as you see. I really wish we had paid more attention to that. I think actually part of the reason I didn't pay more attention to that was that I was like on my way to dinner as that, that, that drive was happening and sort of glossed it over. Um, But you're right. I mean, there really was, there really were some things about the Rams offense that we probably should have tuned into. Yeah, and that one, you know, Chief, I, it's like so. And again, it brings it up, and we've we've talked about this, I think, at nauseum. But like, teams, teams like aren't necessarily good or bad decision makers, right? They're just teams, right? And like, and you know, the Rams are really good. They have a good offensive scheme. You know, Chip Kelly had a good offensive scheme for a year and a half in Philly as well, right? And then things evolve. Um, you know, they're, they're, they appear pretty good at picking players, especially, uh, that fit their scheme. Um, but we, we probably are making a mistake by extrapolating that all the way out and saying, okay, well then he's going to make all the good fourth down decisions, you know? So that, that was a, it was an instructive thing. And I think that that's like, what's cool about this exercise going back and looking at prior games is that we can sort of see them all in the context. This is one of, you know, 19 games for the Rams last year. Um, and even though I think that the later games are more predictive than the, than the previous, you know, the, the, the it's not that much. So, uh, and so we should be looking at these games, even though they're not fresh in our mind, uh, you know, as intently as we look at say the Super Bowl. Well, that's, so you hit on a great point, right? Which is that we are so attuned to what has just happened because that is more likely a representation of what the team is. But when we go back and we say, well, you know what? The Rams were you know, the third best offense in the NFL. That contains this game where Cooper Cup adds this quick, short, and deep you know, receiving target for the Rams. What a great asset that would have been in the Super Bowl, right? Mm-hmm. What it, what an important piece it would have been. And it, you know, I, I think we should take some blame for this, right? We talked all about how, you know, 
the Todd Gurley injury shouldn't matter. What should have mattered is that they didn't have a back that could could run past anything. So when they go in 11 personnel, it's not quite as dangerous. There aren't quite as many things, right? When you have Todd Gurley out wide and then he comes in jet motion, you know, sure, there isn't a huge drop-off between him and Malcolm Brown, but there's a huge drop-off when it takes C.J. Anderson 45 seconds to get from out wide <laughs> to, you know, Jared Goff. So, you know, I think I think we can learn a couple of lessons from both sides um, of this. Let's let's go to the other side. Minnesota, um, after this game, do you think we overvalued or undervalued them? Oh, I think, well, so I think on the season long perspective, like we were fine on the Vikings. Um, you know, we had the, you know, the under was a, you know, I don't think we made an official play, but whatever. So, but I think like game to game, we certainly, we were off the Vikings in all but one game last year, right? It was that we were, we were on them against the bears, uh, at soldier field, every other game, you know, sort of, we, we liked, you know, green line sort of liked the Vikings, you know, like the Vikings opponent. Um, and I think, yeah, I, they're, they were never as bad as they were when they lost to Buffalo and their defense was never as bad as it was against the Rams. Um, I don't know how you account for that, like mathematically, right? You just throw, you just trim, like football is too small sample size to do any sort of trimming, right? right? Um, but you know, I would say we did overreact a bit to this, um, I remember the the following week we were rooting for Philly, you know, because they were like, you know, two and a half or three point favorites against the Vikings at home. The Vikings ended up beating them. So um, I don't know, like, yeah, I think we did underrate the Vikings after this game. Maybe and maybe we shouldn't have cousins. This was the best cousins was all year. So, you know, in that perspective, like we, I think. You know, probably should have came out of it with a higher opinion of Cousins, but that would have been overreacting. But then I think we did overreact to their defense being so poor in this game and so injured. And I think Mike Hughes tore his ACL in this game, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it wasn't coming out of this game. It was not looking good for the Vikings defense, but we, we sort of failed to look at the fact that they had a weak schedule moving forward. Yes. So I think we overreacted to the defense and didn't react enough to the offense. And here's what I noticed as I was writing down every drive. So the things I wrote down the most were, why are you running? This is just for the Vikings. Why are you running? I wrote that down probably eight times. And then everything else that I wrote down for them was first and second down suck, another third down conversion, another third down conversion, another third down conversion. They were minus EPA, negative 0.1 expected points added per play on first and second downs. 0.6, positive 0.6 expected points added on third down. I think we should have been clued in to the fact that on balance, they really weren't that great of an offense. And in this game, they happened to pretend to be a really good offense in part because they had to try and keep scoring. And because they kept converting third downs, um, I mean, it was a joke. First and second down runs, they averaged 1.1 yards per play, yet somehow eight and a half yards per play action play. Their offense didn't just didn't make sense. It was almost hilarious that they scored 31 points. So if you're handicapping the Vikings going into this year, I do think like, you know, and I, I think I'm almost all the way to the point where I think the Vikings are underrated, um, almost. 
Yeah, but, I'm with you there. But if you if you if you say okay, if they get even half of like the difference between Pat Shermer and and John DiFilippo this season, um, do they you know do they end up being um, do they end up being like you know a far better offense just simply by not dumping expected points? There was there was a drive where the you know the Vikings I believe this was the drive where they were down by a score and then they had to punt and they ended up down by two scores where like it was second and ten and they ran the ball to the Latavius Murray and got a hold. And then you're sort of done, right? Because like yep. you know, even if you're having a you're running good on third down, like third and twenty is not your down type of thing. So, yep. um, so that was that was you know something. I think they will get better in that regard. Um, my my big question for Minnesota then is sort of dovetailing off of this particular game, which is what happens if your defense isn't good? Uh, th- that's the worry, right? Right, because like Xavier Rhodes, I believe, had two penalties in this game. I think one yeah. was on a third down. Maybe both of them were on a third down. But he really did were. show his like the reason that like people like don't like our grades of him is that like his coverage numbers are pretty good, but like they ignore the fact that once every so often he just like completely like chucks a receiver on third down and gets a call for it, and that's every bit as bad as giving up a completion on third down. Uh, and he seems to do that fairly frequently. So, um, you know, th- this game did expose a lot of the weaknesses the Vikings have defensively, and I don't know if they've gotten any better. Um, so that's that's kind of the worry. Here's, here's a couple of uh, questions that I have. After this game, would you have taken the Minnesota wide receiving core or the Rams wide receiving core? Oh, the Rams. Uh not because the players are better, but because they're deployed better. Well, and there's other there's the Laquan no, no, Treadwell thing. The Laquan, I wrote down the drop. Uh, I, I wrote down successful play action play minus Laquan being the target. And um, did you see that one where where Quan tried to shake a few people? Yes, that was cute, wasn't it? I I almost fell down. <laughs> that um, was that was a cute play. I, you know, it's interesting because obviously Thielen and Diggs, I, I wrote this down a couple of times too. It was like, holy cow, Thielen and Diggs are great. I mean, just amazing. They were so fantastic. They bailed Cousins out multiple times. Diggs almost got decapitated and managed to stay in the game and continue making plays. Um, those guys are phenomenal. And, you know, it's hard to imagine taking, you know, another duo – um, of wide receivers over over those two guys they played so well um, but having three and this is what I kind of why I wrote down this this question because having three that are all really good just sounds so awesome right and you see it when you watch this game yeah. like it was impossible for the Vikings to cover three really good receivers meanwhile the Rams were sort of able to you know make things work despite the fact that the Vikings had two great ones. Right. And, yeah, and that one of the things I I always come away watching Rams games, just, like, really irritated that the Buffalo Bills had Robert Woods for four years and got almost nothing (laughs) out of him. Because, like, that guy can actually, like, that guy's a player, you know? And I think that, like, when you have three, the complimentary complimentariness, like, we did our fantasy projections, right? And, like, I was remarking to you that, like, we have Woods, Cup, 
and uh, and uh, Cooks all over a thousand yards. They're all in like that one thousand yard range, right? And I was remarking to you about how they do it differently, right? Cooks is going to do it on sixty-five to seventy catches. Woods is going to do it on seventy-five to eighty-five catches. And Cup's going to do it on 90 catches, right? And, like, there's, like, all this – there's there's great things that you can do when they're complementary like that. The interesting thing about the Vikings is Diggs and Thielen kind of do the same things. Like, Thielen's probably better from the slot than, than Diggs is, but Diggs is better, probably better, you know, route runner and, and, you know, contested catch player. But, like, they're sort of the same-ish kind of players, um, which kind of I also think, like, reduces a little bit. Uh, and then you throw in Treadwell, which is, like, an eight-yard-per-catch guy, like – and that's conditional even on the catch, um, you know, it's sort of a a little bit of a different dynamic, probably a far worse one. I'm with you there. Here's the last thing that I wrote down that just kind of knocked my socks off. The Rams on second down, 71% of their passes were play actions. Yeah. Yet somehow 16 yards per play on those plays. Somehow. Don't know how. Seems seemed pretty obvious i was just every second down you just knew it was going to be a play action and didn't matter whether they were successful to play before or not um you know they just look so similar uh anything else that you had on this well game should we pick a game for next week let's do it what are you thinking what's what's on your list here uh i think i sort of want to see i've been getting in arguments about the colts okay Let's and pick I, a good Colts game. And I want to. So I was thinking Colts Texans yes. week four. Yep. That was a great game. It didn't we end well know. for us, Green Line wise. We all know. We all know why. I remember that was one of the few games this season that I vividly remember watching. Yeah. Um, Let's do it. Yeah. Great. So if you're uh, listening, go watch. Go watch that game at some point. Um, grab your game pass count. Dust it off. And uh, if you have questions, fire them in. But uh, this is fun. I think it's a good way to prepare for the season and go back and, and remember some things that we had forgotten. Should we jump into uh, the spread skins? Sure. Let's do it. All right. Why don't you kick it off? Yeah. So we're going to talk about Washington today. They have the 15th pick in the draft. So we're almost halfway through our reviews. Um, Thank God. Here's an interesting thing. I th- I, so Washington finished 7-9, and nine, like perpetually, right? They started 6-3. and three. Um, they pushed their over under of seven wins. We kind of liked the over. I remember like personally betting it and being really irritated that they didn't get like, I didn't, yeah, yeah, they pushed. Um, but here's the interesting thing. And and this, I actually remarked this to you in our, our private chat here. They, when you add up all their war, they have 1.5 war. You add three wins to that because we assume a team of replacement players. So they were two and a half wins. So four and a half war wins less than their actual win win account, right? Yeah, yeah. So last season they were very much lucky. They were they were 3 and 7 in games decided by one or more or more than one score. They were 6 and 2 in close games. And when and and this is why this is where intuition can play tricks on you. When I saw that, I immediately said, "Oh yeah, that's because of Alex Smith." You know, Alex Smith is a winner, right? I mean, there's no doubt about it. You look yeah. at Alex Smith, he's won Upwards of 60, maybe yeah, maybe it's even 70% of his starts at this point in the NFL. But then I looked back, and it's not Alex Smith. Alex Smith with the Chiefs was 31-8 and 8 
in games decided by a, more than one score. Wow. 31 That's crazy. And, so, like, those Chiefs... never guessed. Those Chiefs teams were not, like, grinding out close victories. Those Chiefs teams were dominant, and Alex Smith was driving the... You know, that team was good, and and last yeah. season, they sort of continued it. They were, like, 8-0. Like, all the Chiefs' losses last year were by a score or less. And so, like... It's an interesting thing where you actually have to dig into the data to know. Um, but, yeah, the Washington team last last year was pretty lucky. Alex Smith did not play well last year. Despite that, they started 6-3 and three before he broke his leg. Um, we went 3-2 and two pick, picking their games. We probably would have been 4-1 if their field goal kicker could have made an extra point on Thanksgiving. Um, but, anyway, like, you know, I think we had this team okayly pegged last year. Um just to finish this rant a little bit, though, if you look at their most valuable players with respect to war, you know, they didn't have that much war to begin with, but their four most valuable players, Alex Smith, not going to play this year. Zach Brown now plays for Philadelphia. DJ Swearinger, a guy they cut in Week 17. Preston Smith now plays for the Packers. Their four most valuable players last year are not going to play any snaps for them this year. Yeah, I, I thought that was a great rant. By the way, I think the Alex Smith thing, um, absolutely fascinating. And it's important to, you know, people talk about Pythagorean win ex- uh, expectation a lot. And I think a lot of people don't quite understand what that is. But this is a really great way to synthesize what that's getting at um, in a way that people can understand, right? It's far more, you know, predictive to win games by more than one score, obviously. And in games that are decided by less than a score, well, you've watched an NFL game before. You know that that is fluky as hell, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, to me, it makes a ton of sense. Now, the reason that one might be bullish on the on the Washingtonians is exactly what you just mentioned. Alex Smith is gone and Dwayne Haskins is here. And so just like the Jets, who, you know, are the Jets, um, when you have a good young quarterback or a guy that could be a good young quarterback, positivity rules the day here. And so I think it's worth talking about him because, you know, look, Jay Gruden, he has had some ups and downs, but he had a guy in Kirk Cousins who is a middle of the pack quarterback and had some, some really good offenses. He was a guy that had a Sean McVay, um, you know, as his offensive coordinator. So I think there's, there's possibility here. Dwayne Haskins goes at 15. Daniel Jones goes goes at six. You know those guys, they're playing in the same division. They're going to be compared like, you know, as Haskins and, and Darnold will. So let's go ahead and compare them. You're sitting at six. You're the Giants. Undoubtedly, you take Haskins, yeah? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I did. Oh, is- by the way, Raptors are within two. <laughs> this is that that's great. This is this is a great example. You know, we had Haskins as a borderline cluster one two college quarterback last year. And so like and at the same time, like when I see him going at fifteen, I immediately said, and we were on the draft show, we both said, This is a great pick, right? Because again, like our evaluations of player acquisitions and you know are context-driven, right? Like, at 15, Dwayne Haskins is a terrific pick. Was he productive in college? Yes. Was a lot of that production due to stuff around him at Ohio State? Yes. Does he have, you know, very little in the way of sample size relative to other quarterbacks? Yes. 
is he talented enough to be the 15th pick in the draft? Hell yes, right? Like it's so it's such a great exam it's such a great discussion topic. I think at 6, I don't necessarily fault the Giants for not picking him at 6. I fault them for picking Daniel Jones, who is firmly a cluster 2 college quarterback his final year at Duke. I I couldn't agree more. Daniel Jones it's funny because so Here's the thing with Haskins, and, and people will talk about his accuracy and his completion percentage and all of this stuff. It, Dwayne Haskins' average depth of target was like five yards less than Kyler Murray's. I mean, it, it's, well, a lot of those know, pop passes, right? A lot of those like jet right. passes and stuff. So let's let's just look at those ten to nineteen yard throws downfield. You know, that's that's where we see Brady and Breeze and you know the great quarterbacks, Russell Wilson. They dominate every single year. Um, and on those, on those passes, it it isn't even close. Dwayne Haskins is far less accurate than Kyler Murray. It's not, it's not even remotely close, but he's actually less accurate than Daniel Jones as well. Um, that both of their negative, negatively graded throw rates are, are about the same. So, you know, I, I do think there's a little bit of hatred towards Daniel Jones because he played at Duke, um, and they were terrible. Um, so I, you know, I think you can, I think you can get into an argument about Haskins and Jones. I just think Dwayne Haskins, given, you know, the amount of time that he had to sort of show what he could do, um, is probably the far better, far better pick at, well, at 15 relative to Jones at six. Yeah. And this is, and this is where when the, as the league continues to get smarter, hopefully, there's going to be more of a middle class of quarterbacks, right? And there's going to be a, a more uh, a fairer market or a more indicative market for quarterbacks, right? Daniel Jones, to me, is a perfect second or third round quarterback, right? You take him; he's yep. got some potential. Um, if he does, he, but you have to when you take a player like Daniel Jones, you have to respect the substantial number of sample paths where he stinks, and. That is commensurate with a second or third round pick. I think Haskins, there's far fewer sample paths where he's terrible. Um, I think his upside probably isn't as high, and you know I, I've compared him to Cousins and and you know Stafford and and uh, Bradford and those types of players. Um, so at 15, like I think that's fine, right? Like if you get Andy Dalton out of him at pick yeah. 15, you're happy, especially for the rookie deal. Um, so like but the problem is is the way that the quarterback markets work i guess you know drew Locke. we saw him getting picked in the 40s that's a a good start of the evolution i think but um but nonetheless like yeah haskins at 15 is a good pick we to sort of continue that line of thinking when we when we've been talking about teams being smart or not smart teams uh during this process i think that the washington spreadskins uh, embody this better than anybody. Yes, there there was there was a a, a significant rumor that they were going to trade up and get Haskins. They don't do that. They wait until fifteen. He lands there, and we're all lauding them for how smart they are, right? Then they trade up for Montez Sweat back into the first round. They don't end up with a you know they they don't end up being able to have future picks because they trade up for Montez Sweat. Now Sweat could be great, but we know that like trading back into the first round is often a sucker play, especially for a guy with as many question marks as Sweat. Then they take Bryce Love in the 4th round, a running back 
Anytime you hear the the phrase bone on bone when it, when you're talking about a running back's legs or knees, like that's not a good thing. And in a draft where like Miles Gaskins going in the seventh round, James White Williams is going undrafted, and you take Bryce Love in the fourth round when you already have Darius Geis and Adrian Peterson, like what are you doing? Suspicious. Yeah. No. You you say this all the time, and it just rings true. Anytime someone says, oh, what a smart move or what a dumb move, default to the baseline, which is not smart, not dumb, just doing things, right? And some of those things are going to be dumb. Some well, somebody's got to be, be on the other side of the bat. Yeah, but having this this definitive, well, so-and-so knows what he's doing, he's smart, or so-and-so doesn't know what he's doing, he's an idiot. You know, people are crucifying Gettleman for taking Daniel Jones. But, like, the guy held on to his plethora of picks and, like, by default is going to get better because of that. And, you know, that, like, all of these – and to a large extent, this is true of everybody. Like, not to pontificate about the philosophy of life here, but if you go back and you look at your life, a lot <laughs> yes. of the things that you think are, wow, thank God I'm so smart. Like, you just got lucky, right? Like, you know, and, and a lot of the times you're like, oh, man, I got so unlucky. Yeah, you did. But how many times more could you have also gotten, you know, been on the wrong side uh, of luck and that really could have screwed you over and you sort of credit yourself with this brilliant move in that situation? I think the, the Redskins, the Spreadskins, the Breadsticks being in Washington, uh, a great, a great example of that happening. Yeah. Well, so, yeah. And, and, and they've historically made some poor moves. Um, so people are like magnifying them. And I think like the Haskins thing, you know, is us sort of olive branching with them and saying, no, like they're not, a, you know, they don't make all these dumb moves. Right. They, they, yeah. they signed, you know, you know, they, they signed Landon Collins, who I think is going to be a pretty good safety for them. I don't know I'm if sorry, I would have given him Landon. Safety. Oh, sorry. Linebacker. Thank um, you. They, you know, they got Dominic Rogers Cromartie out of retirement, who I think is a pretty undervalued asset. Um, and yet, at the same time, they sign Eric Flowers, right? They give Matt Idianitis a contract extension when he's been basically a below replacement level player for about a thousand snaps in the NFL. Look, he's got heart. So, so like it, it, they, you know, they're not a good, they're not smart or stupid. They're just, they're just, they just are, you know. God, Raptors down ten now. I know, right. you hate to see uh, it. Yeah, you hate to see that. Um, I'm done with the, the Redskins. Are you done with the Redskins? Um, let's just talk briefly, because we are the PFF oh. forecast, uh, about the futures for them. So, you know, their their win total sure. is 6.5. We're at about 6.99, um, assuming Hassan's is the quarterback. There's a nice. little bit of juice on both. You know, the, at this point in time, you're, there's a lot of hold on both sides of the uh, – of, of the win totals bet. So I don't know if I, I'm not comfortable betting the over on a team that might start a rookie quarterback. Um, we have them winning the Super Bowl about one half of 1% of the time. So not looking good Idiot. there. Never going to happen. It's impossible. <laughs> but they do have a pretty easy schedule. They're 28th in, in, in schedule with respect to PFF ELO. So there is some relief there for them. Um, if you're going to bet the over on Washington, you're making an implicit bet that the that the Cowboys are not going to be as good as they were a season ago. And we agree with you. Um, 
there's also the Giants, right? The Giants have one of the easiest schedules in the NFL. I think that's correlated with the Redskins having a pretty easy one as well. So there is some space there if you are if you think Haskins and Gruden can can uh, you know do some things together. Um, week one, though, let's talk. Let's let's have some uh, let's have some discourse. Yeah, discourse. They're at Philly. They're plus eight. Total forty six wow. and a half. I mean. You're going to bet on a rookie quarterback in uh, in his first week. I'm probably not. Yeah, eight's eight's a lot to lay. Um, what I kind of like in this matchup, I like the under. Interesting. I think Philly's. Yeah, I don't gonna, hate it. Philly's going to uh, try to establish the run. Well, sure, and and the Carson Wentz thing is like you know, the guy has has now been on the sideline for a lot of his career, so. I think it's there's certainly a reason for them to try and, and keep him from making a ton of plays. I would be worried about, look, I know it's not a stable thing, but Haskins under pressure in college was sort of a disaster. I would be terrified of a defensive touchdown against the, the Redskins here, given the Eagles' disappointing end of the season um, and their, you know, their ability up front. So I would, Personally, my feeling is that you would lay off, um, but I would guess if you had to choose a side, you, you'd take the under or the dog. Yeah, the, my yeah. thoughts. Yep, and and I think you know the Philly was an under team most of the year last year with Wentz, um, and I think that that's you know by virtue of the fact that you know sort of the offense struggled on third down. They were an over team for the same re- for the op- exact opposite reason in 2017. So, I don't know, 46 and a half seems like a lot when one of the teams has a rookie quarterback or Case Keenum on that side. Very fair. All right, last we'll close it out with uh we had some good stories at the YMCA this week. Um two different versions of hell. So, the first one is um I'm all for uh you know, working out with a partner or a buddy or whatever, all for it. Okay. Here's a question I've got about it. So if you're going to get coffee with your bro and you're going to work out with your bro, like why would you do it at the same time? So there are two guys at the Y who are there a couple of times a week in the mornings and they've just come from getting coffee. And they've got their coffee, and they're carrying their coffee around. So they, you know, they're doing curls over here, taking a coffee break. They talk the whole time. I mean, they're literally getting coffee with one another, but just happen to be doing so um, in a gym and working out at the same time. You are a lover of coffee at all times of the day. You're probably drinking coffee right now. Yep. So how do you feel about this? Uh, you know, I don't mind it. It so offends much. me. But you, but here's the thing, like, I've also been at the gym with you, working out with you, where other people we know have also been at the gym, and all they were doing was, pa- like, you just don't like people being at the gym wasting space while not working out as hard as they should be. Look, if you can have a coffee and not sweat at the same time, you're, if you that, are right, actually That's really working- what offends you, is that they're not working out that, that hard. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's hilarious. Uh, the... A lot of people drink coffee for a certain reason. We know what that reason is, right? Get your body going. Get things moving. The idea that you would be drinking a coffee while working out is reprehensible. 
Can't no, I, I normally drink it on the way to, and then and then, <laughs> then and then leave from. your mug there. Yeah, and then and then fill it up on the way out. Um, all right, so uh, they seem like nice guys. I don't want to be uh, too mean. Here. I thought when you put this in the show notes, I totally thought you were going to talk about. Um, I thought you were t- totally going to talk about the people just talking to themselves in the locker room. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> insufficiently, cl- insufficiently clothed. I've seen five dudes in falling off towels napping in the uh, gym locker room foyer over the past week. It's getting it's getting a little aggressive. I have another thing on this list, though, which is um, I think maybe worse than the first thing. And that is, and this isn't worse. It's just hard to watch. And the, what was hard to watch was, uh, I assume, a boyfriend girlfriend couple working out together. Now I'm all for like everyone staying fit, but the girl was like making her boyfriend do the same workout she was doing, and you were like kind of, you were a little further away from them. But she had headphones in and he didn't. And she's got like, I don't know, a couple of uh, plates on the bar. They're doing some, I I don't know what they're doing. Um, I couldn't really see. But she's like yelling at him because she's got headphones in to like take a weight off. (laughs) He like is saying something back to her, but she doesn't hear anything he's saying. She's just yelling at him, you know, about the weights that are on the bar. And she's like out lifting him by a mile. You just hate to see it. I, I just that feel guy, bad for that, that guy. guy. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing I thought about that, like, if you have, if your legs are less muscular than your girlfriend's, it's a problem. It's yeah, it's an issue. And then, like, I just don't. Yeah, it's tough when somebody's just being ordered around like that. Feel, you just hate bad. to see it. You really hate to see it. I, <laughs> I can't imagine what his day-to-day life is like. Um, I'm very lucky. My girlfriend works out and doesn't make me, uh, like, doesn't order me around to do the things that she does. She could out, like, you know, Sam. She can outlift well. you, yeah, for sure. She, she, like, if we had to go on like some sort of run, I would be, I would be toasted and destroyed. Um, but similarly, I don't make her do any of my workouts, so it's a happy relationship because of that these people i can't say the same for (laughs) (laughs) oh man thoughts and prayers for for the coffee bros and um i don't know what we'll call the other people anyways that's all we've got anything else you want to add Texas. yeah i know this is this is fun looking really really looking forward to uh our colts watching our colts god i don't want to I don't want to dust off those cobwebs. I'd like black that game out of my memory. Anyways, if you have questions, uh, hit us up. PFF underscore Eric for all your hatred. We'll see you guys next week.
Get to Kohl's this weekend and save during the friends and family sale. Take an extra 20% off. Get Please for the Family, $15.99 and under. The new Fitbit Inspire 2 is $99.99. And save on Family Denim, $17.59 and under. Plus, get Kohl's cash. Plus, fast and free store pickup. Find a little more this fall. Shop Kohl's and Kohl's.com. Select styles. Offers valid September 30th through October 4th. 20% off with promo code FAMILYSHOP. Fitbit offers and coupons do not apply. Some exclusions apply. See store or Kohl's.com for details.